written. Please rise now as we hear the call of our Heavenly Father. The call this morning comes from Psalm 111. Praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. The works of the Lord are great, studied by all who have pleasure in them. His work is honorable and glorious, and his righteousness endures forever. He has made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. Praise the Lord. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, we know what we've been called to do. Let's do it. Let us praise the Lord, uh, singing 570, praise God from whom all blessings flow, and then 212, come thou almighty King. pray that you would enable us now to do what we will be doing for all eternity, and that is worship and praising you, learning from you, hearing you speak to us, granting unto us the glory 
in Christ from the foundations of the world. We pray, O Lord, that you would enable us now, open our eyes to see the heavenly things, to set aside the earth and the worries and cares and distractions of this life and be able to spend some time with you in the heavenlies. We pray, O Lord, for your grace and mercy and help, and we are in need of that every moment of every day. We are in need of you. And so we ask, O Lord, for your blessing. Bless us that we may be a blessing and that the world may know that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. When I kept silence, my bones grew old, my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledge my sin unto you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgression unto the Lord, and he forgave the iniquity of my sin. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for inspiring and guiding David to write this prayer, this praise, this uh, communication, as he understood his transgressions, his sins, how he violated your law, how he broke your commandments, how he dishonored you. And yet, there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. And so, Lord, we do want to come and also join with David and acknowledge our sin, our transgressions, our offenses against the thrice holy God, that we have not loved you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We have not loved our neighbor as ourself. We have been guilty of loving ourselves over everything. We are guilty of will worship, worshiping our own wills, creating idols instead of the true and living God. And so we pray that you would please forgive us for our offenses, our sins against you and our sins against our fellow men. We know that the wages of sin is death. We know that we deserve to die because of these things. And yet we also know and believe your word that says that Jesus Christ came And that he took upon himself our sin. He became our sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so again, we thank you, Lord Jesus, for your love towards us. While we were yet sinners, you died for us. And so we ask, O Lord, that you would cleanse us from all sin. For that blood that was shed once for all for the remission of sins, apply it to us today, we pray. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for the work of applying that, work, that finished, completed work of Christ. And we thank you, Lord, 
uh, that you have granted unto us access, boldness to enter the throne of grace to find mercy and help in time of need. And so we pray that you would enable us now with hearts, uh, with joy, hearts forgiven, hearts restored, uh, enable us, O Lord, to lift our hearts to you in praise and thanksgiving. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. So if you'll please turn with me in your hymnal as we actually tell our souls, talk to our souls, Arise, my soul, arise, shake off thy guilty fear. Let us stand and sing 275. My God is reconciled. What a wonderful statement that is. I'm reconciled to God. When I hear his voice, it's a voice of pardon. He's my father, and I'm his child. With confidence, I now draw nigh. Amen? Thank you, Lord Jesus, for making that possible. All right, uh, we have an opportunity to not only confess our sins, but to confess our faith uh, positively for our opportunity to consecrate ourselves for his purposes. And so if you'll turn with me in your uh, hymnal to page uh, 852, is again, we have opportunity <clears throat> to join with the saints of all ages as we confess the triune God. Using the uh, summary here, the Nicene Creed. Beloved in Lord Jesus Christ, what is it you believe? I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, 
maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again, according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sits on the right hand of the Father, and he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Now one thing we may not realize is these words here are in are the result of 300 years of battling uh, within the church and trying to understand the Trinity and trying to understand the two natures of Christ. So what we have is the fruit of that labor, that struggle. Um, Sometimes I think we forget, we don't appreciate what others have gone and done before us. Um, We ignore the, um, the work of the Holy Spirit in guiding men to write this. We're not saying it's inspired, but it is helpful in understanding what the Scriptures teach. And so let us also, this morning, look at something that was written a thousand years later, more than, actually, 1,300 years later, uh, the Canons of Dort. uh, It's that half sheet in your bulletin. We're looking at the third and fourth heads of doctrine. The corruption of man is conversion to God and the manner thereof. So we're looking at the state of man in Adam and how God saves dead people. So I will read the leader type. Will you please read the um, people portion? The true doctrine, having been explained, the synod rejects the errors of those who teach that the corrupt and natural man can so well use the common grace by which they understand the light of nature, or the gifts still left him after the fall, that he can gradually gain by their good use a greater, that is, the evangelical or saving grace and salvation itself. And that in this way, God on his part shows himself ready to reveal Christ unto all men since he applies to all sufficiently and efficiently the means necessary to conversion. For both the experience of all ages and the scriptures testify that this is untrue, 
He showeth his word unto Jacob, his statutes and his ordinances unto Israel. He hath not dealt so with any nation. And as for his ordinances, they have not known them, who in the generation gone by suffered all the nations to walk in their own way. And, and they, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia, when they were come over against Mysia, they essayed to go to, into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus suffered them not. The Synod rejects the errors of those who teach that in the true conversion of man, no new qualities, powers, or gifts can be infused by God into the will, and that therefore faith, uh, through which we are first converted and because of which we are called believers, is not a quality or gift infused by God, but only an act of man, and that it cannot be said to be a gift, except in respect of the power to attain this uh, to this faith. For thereby they contradict the Holy Scriptures, which declare that God infuses new qualities of faith, of obedience, and of the consciousness of his love into our hearts. I will put my law in their inward parts, and in their heart I will write it. And... I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and streams upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed. And the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which was given unto us. This is also repugnant to the constant practice of the church, which prays by the mouth of prophet thus, turn thou me, and I shall be turned. Okay, I have a lot there today. Now, again, we must be reminded that the, the statements in here, when it says uh, we reject the, uh, the error of those who teach, they're quoting a document that was given to the synod by the Armenian party by those pastors in the Reformed Church that said, we want to teach this. Okay? So what we're reading is not somebody made that up. It's not a straw man. This is the actual words or the summary of the words that were the argument against what we believe is the Reformed faith. And so notice uh, in, in the statement, uh, there's an assumption in, in this paragraph 5 the assumption is the sovereignty of man's will. Okay. I know what I know, and I know that I choose, and I have a free will, and so therefore, I don't care what you say, I know what I know. Okay. I assume that I can freely choose at all times. And, and the problem is, we all understand that. It's not the problem, it's the choosing. It's the problem of who's choosing, or what's, where's it coming from. It comes from the heart. Okay, notice... First of all, the air that flows from this assumption is, do you see this point about common grace? That the corrupt and natural man can so use the common grace or the gifts still left to him after the fall. Notice that. 
common grace is detached from the giver. But Scripture says, or better yet, Jesus says that God makes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. In other words, grace is never separated from the giver. You understand that concept? Uh, I was raised Roman Catholic, and in Roman Catholic Church, grace was an, a sub, uh, an object. Grace was something you needed to get. It was, a, it was something substantial. You needed to have so much grace to be saved. You had to have a measure. You have to have a cup, and the cup has to be full. And so grace is an is a object. But the object is separated from God, the giver. Whereas my understanding in the Bible, grace is primarily a verb. Grace is what God gives. And he doesn't walk away when he gives us grace. Part of that grace is his personal involvement. This assumption is there's grace that God just scattered out there, and so people can just take it and use it irregardless of God. God's not involved. It's all up to you. Do you understand that concept, what they're coming from? Secondly, notice also in this error Salvation is a process rather than an, an event with ongoing effects. Okay. So there are effects of salvation, but this argument is we are being saved. And how are we being saved? By our choices. Do you, do you hear? So in other words, what they're, what they're arguing is, is they're, they are failing to distinguish being born again and being sanctified. You understand that? Okay? Born again happens once. You're dead or you're alive. When you're dead and God brings you to life, you're regenerated. Okay? That is the beginning. That's the work of God. That's a, that is the great work of God. However, sanctification is the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit, making us more and more like Jesus. These are distinct. They're both important, but there's a distinction there. What we have here is a return to Rome, don't we? You have to work your salvation. It's up to you. It's all based on your choosing. Again, we have that. As a matter of fact, these teachers have lost, or um, these pastors who wanted to teach us, have lost 100 years of gain that the church had gained during the Reformation. Notice also, in the statement that the grace of God is used by man to gain grace. You hear that? What they're saying is, God gave grace out there. I have to use my will in order to gain grace. Does that sound like a works thing? Does it sound like it's something that you do in order to gain? Doesn't Paul say that the merit, or he talks about uh, it is no longer grace but debt? Are we putting God as a debt? Are we earning our salvation? This is a bold-faced denial of faith as a gift. It's only an act of man, they say. I was uh, in our devotions, our, family, our, our dinner time devotions, we were reading Second Thessalonians on Friday. And as we were reading, this verse just slapped me in the face. Go, here's the summary. Paul writes in Second Thessalonians, for not all have faith. You hear that statement? Not all men have faith. Faith comes as a gift 
of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Do we understand that? Faith is a gift. Faith is not resident in everybody, and they just have to exercise it or not. Unless you have the work of the Spirit of God, you're a dead man, dead woman. Dead people don't choose. Okay? It has to be grace. Grace is not earned or deserved. Amen? Amen. All right. Let us prepare our hearts for the sermon, uh, for the message out of Ephesians. Let's turn to the hymnal again, and this time we're singing a portion of Psalm 119, a psalm about the wonders of the Word of God. And so let's go to Psalm 119, and we're going to sing the easy, the E portion, 119E. Let us stand and sing. Turning your Bibles to our text this morning, and that is, uh, we're back to the letter of the Apostle Paul to the Ephesians, and the Word of God to us through the Spirit. We'll be beginning our reading this morning in verse 15 of chapter 1. Hear now the Word of our God. Therefore, I also... After I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches 
of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand, or at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The grass withers, the flower falls, but God's word abides forever. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven. We do thank you uh, for these words. We thank you for the prayer of the apostle, uh, his thanksgiving. Uh, We pray, O Lord, that you would uh, use this portion of your word, that you would teach us. You are the teacher. Holy Spirit, you have been given to us. You are the paracletus, the one who comes alongside. We pray that you would teach us from this, that these words would not just be forgotten as we walk out the door, but they would be implanted into our hearts, that we would meditate on these things this week, and that we would put them into practice as these are uh, responses to you and to your great works. And so we ask the Lord for your, the work of your spirit, truly sow the seed of word in our hearts, and we pray for a hundredfold fruit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, Did your mother teach you to say thank you? We talked about this before. Did your mother teach you to write thank you notes when someone gives you something? How do we express our thankfulness? How do we express? Do you do that with one another? Do you ever express your appreciation for your kids, to your kids? Do you ever express appreciation for your mother on other than Mother's Day? Or your father, on other than father's day. How often? How often do you say thank you? Or, you know, I really appreciate you. Is that important? It is very important. Here's the question, though. How often do you express appreciation to God? How often do you say thank you, God? Is that a daily occurrence? We jokingly, as we're getting older now, say... Someone asked me, how are you doing? I'm vertical. Thank you, God, for that I can stand, and that I can walk, and I can get around. You young people, that's not a clue. You don't have a clue yet. Unless you've had a serious accident where you can't stand or something, then you know what I'm talking about. How often do you say thank you to God? I hope it is every day. When you rise in the morning or, and when you... Uh, lay down at night. How often do you say thank you to fellow members of the, of the church or of your family? Is that, is, is that part of your identity? That's the, really the question. Are you a Jew? Now, what do, you mean by, what do I mean by that? Well, the, the, the word Jew, is uh, it, it, the word itself means praise. Okay. To be a Jew is to be someone who is praising God, who is thankful to God, 
and thankful to others. Uh, is, is the cup half empty or half full? Right? How you look at things. Are you thankful? That's what we find in our text today, is the response to the grace of God, which is verses 3 through 14 that we've looked at for the past three weeks, is now, how do I, what do I do with it? What do I do with an understanding of who God is and what he's done? Well, Paul then goes into and, and both explains how to respond to it, and also he emulates it. He actually does it. He explains what he does. And so I think we can learn uh, from his example as well as his teaching. And so we are called to show appreciation, to value others, especially God. That's what praise is all about. So my main point is in the bulletin. How should you respond to the wonderful blessings which God has lavished upon you? The Apostle Paul encourages us to trust, to thank, and to talk to the triune God as well as to show love and concern for those that he loves. Furthermore, from Paul's example, we learn how to pray for ourselves and for others. And so, as I said before, this letter is a letter of grace. It is the fruit of a heart of thankfulness to God and thankfulness for those whom God he is writing too, which includes you and I. And so let us consider our text. Uh, first of all, in verse 15, if you will uh, back, go back there, notice he says, therefore, Why is, what does the word therefore mean? Why is it therefore? What is he saying? Based on what i just been saying, therefore, because of verses 1 through 13, 1 through 14, therefore, because of all this, now we're going to move on. So we're going to be looking at faith in the Lord Jesus and love for all the saints. Therefore, because of what each person of the Trinity has done, is doing, and will do in the future, even into eternity, what are we to do? After I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. After I heard and continued to hear of your faith in the Lord Jesus. Remember, at the time, who was declared as Lord in the civil government? It was Caesar. In order to be a good Roman citizen, you had to say, Caesar's Lord. Not Jesus, Caesar. What does Paul say in Romans? He who confesses that Jesus is Lord and believes in his heart that God raised him from the dead shall be saved. Not Caesar. Caesar doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. Who's Lord, Caesar or Jesus? That's really the challenge for these believers here in Ephesus and throughout the world and even today. Does the civil magistrate want you to bow to them as the ultimate source of knowledge and help and hope? Does man take upon himself the lordship 
Do we, by exercising and focusing on my will, are we replacing God? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And now here, Paul is saying, Yes, I've ministered among you. I have seen your faith, and I hear of your faith, that you're hanging, hanging in there. And your love for all the saints. After I have heard of your love of all the saints, and is that important? Is the evidence of your faith love for the brethren? Is it? Do you love those whom God loves? Well, sometimes they are like a porcupine, right? And sometimes... It's hugging the porcupine is loving your neighbor, especially those who are saints. Well, they're not acting very saintly right now. They're grumbling and complaining or whatever. Are we called to only love those who are doing saintly kind of things? Or are we called to love our brothers and sisters when their porcupines are stuck in us? Right? I jokingly refer to the ministry as hugging the porcupine. Um, but isn't that our calling? We're called to love the saints. And they're not all sanctified yet. They're, not, they're still going through the process, right? And Paul is very aware of this. He actually will be correcting these saints concerning areas of sanctification that we have and we need. After I heard of your love... I rejoiced. I gave thanks. What's the point? What's the point here? What you believe shapes how you act. So what do you believe? Look at your actions. Does your actions reflect on what you believe? Right? Do you ever evaluate yourself? What are my actions this week? What are my actions today? How does that reflect what I believe? What you believe impacts what you do. What you do reflects what you believe. Very simple point, but it is profound. Ideas have consequences. Calvin, uh, in his uh, commentary, said it this way, talking about love, love for the saints. Love ought to be embraced, uh, love ought to embrace all men, but... Here the saints are particularly mentioned because love, when properly regulated, begins with them and is afterwards extended to others. If our love must have a view to God, the nearer any man approaches to God, the stronger unquestionably must be his claim to our love. Did you get what that said? He said, if we love God and... Someone else loves God and is pursuing God. Should we love them? Should our love be towards those who love God? Primarily, first of all. And the answer is yes. But then it extends to all mankind. Is that true? Do we love our brothers and sisters in Christ above all else? 
after God. Well, I don't know. My brother, my sister in Christ offended me, and I can't forgive them. Well, there's a problem. We're called to love the saints because God loves them. Second point, constant thanksgiving and prayer for others. Again, we mentioned the other day in a book that was stated, a statement, love is not an emotion, it is a way of behaving. It is a commitment to act the right way. Do the emotions come? Yes, they do. Loving feelings do come. But that's not, the, the love is not first an emotion. Like I said before, I remember hearing uh, some uh, young couple that wanted to make their own vows for their wedding. And their, the vow basically said, I will love you as long as uh, love, the loving feelings continue. It basically what they said. And my thought was, well, that's not going to last very long, is it? That marriage is doomed to fail if love is the f- feeling, Right? Love is a commitment. Love is an acting. Love is doing. It's an action. And so here we see the love of God in in Paul and our call to love one another. Look at his action. Look at verse 16. I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Notice that. What is he saying? I do not cease to give thanks for you. He's absent from them, whether he's absent or whether he's present, he was thankful for them. How about you? How about, are we thankful for the people that aren't here today? Are we thankful for the people that we don't even know? We hear about brothers and sisters in faraway countries who are being persecuted for the name of Christ. Are we thankful for their witness? Do we pray for them? Notice he says, I do not cease to give thanks. Now, is this the only group of people that Paul was thankful for? And the answer is no. All you have to do is continue on through the Bible. You go to Philippians, the letter he writes to them. He says in verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine making mention, or making request for you, with all joy. What about the Colossians? Colossians 1, 3. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. What about the Thessalonians? Again, 1 Thessalonians 1, 2. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. What about his second letter? We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other. Paul was a thankful man. Are you a thankful man, thankful woman? Does that come into play in your life? Notice his thankfulness, first and foremost, is expressed to God. He says, I am thankful for you, making mention of you all in my prayers. Do you pray for one another? Do you thank God 
for each other in your prayers. Thank you, God, for giving me this wife, this husband, this child, this friend, this co-worker. That's a jerk. Um, are we thankful? Are we thankful for the abilities that we take for granted? How about the ability to breathe in? <gasps> Is that a gift from God? Are you say, do you ever say thank you, God, for that breath I just took? Wait till you're underwater like I was and couldn't breathe. I almost died when I came to the surface. I was thanking God for that breath. Does God have to take away your breath in order for you to be appreciative of your breath? I hope not. What is the best, okay, what's the summary here? What's the best response that you can do to the grace of God? And according to our catechism, has a great answer, and that is prayer. Talk to him. Thank you. Is that an answer? Yeah, that's prayer. Question 86, how are we to be thankful, or how do we re express our appreciation for what God has done? I'll quote it here. Since then, we are redeemed from our misery by grace through Christ without any merit of ours. Why must we do good works? Because Christ, having redeemed us by his blood, also renews us by his Holy Spirit after his own image, that with our whole life we show ourselves thankful to God for his blessing. See that? With our whole life, we show ourselves thankful to God for his blessing. And that he be glorified through us, then also that we ourselves may be assured of our faith by the fruits thereof, and by our godly walk win also others to Christ. So there's a full fourfold way of expressing thankfulness. And the first is what? Show ourselves thankful to God for his blessing. Thank you, God, for another day. Thank you, God, for grace. Thank you, God, for redemption. Thank you, God, and you could go on and on and on, spend hours thanking God. How many seconds do you do that each day? What is the best way to uh, express it? Again, the Catechism, question 116, it says uh, that prayer is the chief way that we can say thank you. Say thank you. Is that prayer? Yeah. Eternal life, according to Jesus, is knowing God. So how is your relationship with God? Do you listen to him speak through his word? Do you speak to him his word? Is there a conversation going on in your life? Is, are you a, a person of prayer in a praise. Third point, verse 17, we see the content of Paul's prayer of thanksgiving. That, he's talking about his thanksgiving, his prayer, this is what he prayed, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the, your, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power. 
And so there he says his purpose. What does he want for you and for me? Well, notice, first of all, he, he directs his prayer to God the Father. Notice what he prays. He basically prays for the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of wisdom and revelation, that the eyes of your soul, your heart, may be enlightened. So what does he pray? He prays that, that God the Father would send the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit would open your heart, would grant unto you both knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. Knowledge, understanding of how things work, and wisdom, how to put these things into practice. Or in other words, adequate knowledge, proper appreciation, proper understanding, and wisdom or skill to apply it to life. But did you notice here in our text, he calls God the Father of glory. The splendor of his divine presence and power. We don't really see where we are at. We don't see with our eyes the glory of God as it's revealed clearly. If God were to peel away, as it were, the covering, the veil, and we were to behold reality in the presence of God, which is where we are right now, we would all be on the ground, facing the ground. We would be overwhelmed. God, in his mercy, <laughs> veils it. He's the father of glory. Just think of Moses. When Moses saw the trailing edges of his glory, and what was the impact? Nobody could look at his face. He had to, he had to cover it because it was so brilliant, so bright. God is the father of glory. He is splendorous uh, in all his presence and his power, his ability. Again, what, is, what does Paul ask? For the spirit of wisdom and revelation. He's praying for the Holy Spirit to open your eyes, to open your heart, to receive the things. That you might be enlightened. Notice what he says. That you may know what is the hope of his calling. Not only the general call that goes out to all men, but the effectual call including regeneration. That produces hope. Are we hopeful or do we have hope? We have hope, which leads to hopefulness. Just like we have love that leads to loving feelings, so same with hope. The hope is Jesus Christ. He is our hope. Notice also he prays that you may properly appreciate, that is, know, the riches of the glory of his inheritance. Do you know that you have an inheritance? Well, Paul earlier spoke of that inheritance. Verse 11. In him we, all, we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. We have an inheritance. We have a gift. We have many gifts. We are blessed. He's the blessed God who blesses us. Do you know that you have blessings? 
both now and forever. The greatest is relationship with him. What should it do to us? If I really know that I have an inheritance, I'm seated in heavenly places in Christ and I have all these things, should that encourage me as I go through the difficulties of life? Yeah. How long is this life compared to eternity? And that was too long. Right? This life is a blip. Eternity. He's talking about the inheritance, the eternal inheritance we have in Christ. Should this encourage us? Yes. And notice it's in the saints. That inheritance is ours, not mine. Do you understand that difference? As part of the people of God, as the church of Jesus Christ, we have an inheritance in the heavens, in Christ. And notice he says that we may properly understand his power. Paul goes out of his way to try to describe the power of God by using four synonyms. He refers to it as as his power, as his working, as his mighty working, as his power, a different word, power, the fruit thereof. God is working, God is working, God is working, God is working. Okay? Remember what I said earlier at the very beginning about in in the time that people thought about gods in relation to what they did. Paul is hammering the point. God is God. How do you know he's? Because he's working, he's working, he's working, he's working. Right? We live in a society and a culture today that says God is irrelevant. If there is a God, he's far away. He's watching from a distance. Do you ever remember that song many years ago? Drove me crazy. God is watching, watching, watching from a distance. He's irrelevant. He's irrelevant to reality today. Is that, is that our culture? God, God, if he exists, is irrelevant. We live in a closed system. He doesn't interfere, if he exists at all. Naturalism, right? Is that what the Bible teaches? Does God interpose himself in all creation? Paul writes in Colossians, in Jesus, all things are held together. Every atom in the universe is held together by Jesus Christ personally. If it wasn't for him, poof, there would be nothing. So that you may know, properly understand what you already have experienced, knowing his power, as he says, that the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened. And like he said, the power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. There's four. Which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. The power of God, the purpose of God, are both found here in our text. And so in conclusion, actually, I want to steal from somebody else. I'll give you a couple little statements here. Hodge says, the prayer recorded in these verses is a very comprehensive one. In praying that the Ephesians and us 
might be enlightened with spiritual recognition of the truth, the apostle prays for their sanctification. In praying that they might have adequate ideas of the inheritance to which they were called, he prayed that they might be lifted above the world. And in praying that they might know the exceeding greatness of the power exercised in their conversion, he prayed that they might be simultaneously humble and confident. They should be humble in view of the death of of sin from which they have been raised and confident in the view of the omnipotence of the God who has begun their salvation. I don't know if you caught all that. Enlightened to the truth of sanctification. And this is the one that I thought was very important. That they might be lifted above the world. You understand that? One of the reasons why we come to church is to have our minds lifted above the world. To be reminded of reality as we're in this world, this false world of sin and deception and warfare. That our minds would be lifted above so that we would be heavenly minded in order to be earthly good. And then finally, he prayed that they might be simultaneously humble and confident. Humbled because of what God has done for us, confident in what God who's begun it, a good work, will finish it. And so I, t- I uh, present to you this portion of God's word. I pray that you would take seriously what Paul took seriously. That is, what God has done and how we're to respond. What was it, the response? Prayer. Praise. Thankfulness, putting into practice what he's taught. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we do come to you, and we thank you, Lord, for the prayers of the apostle, for the Ephesians, and throughout time for the saints, including us, the redeemed of the Lord. We thank you for revealing to us, Father, your eternal love, before creation, your choosing of us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, in dying on the cross 2,000 years ago for our sins in particular and granting unto us the inheritance. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for the work of applying Christ constantly to our lives and for your presence with us. We pray that you would enable us to truly rejoice in what we have, and part of that rejoicing in loving those who rejoice in these things, even the saints, and that it would expand beyond the church, even into the world, that others who know you not would be coming to faith in Christ and rejoice in your grace. And so we ask, O Lord, for your blessing. Enable us, equip us, give us that knowledge, wisdom, and understanding that we may be able to glorify you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let us respond to God's word, the giving of his tithes and our offerings.
us pray. Father in heaven, we do come before you and we thank you, Lord, for giving us all things in Christ. We give back to you a portion, acknowledging that you are the one who enables us to work, enables us to prosper, and that all things belong to you. And so we pray that you would receive these portion, this portion, as a response of our joy, our rejoicing in you, and the desire to see your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as is in heaven. And so we ask, O Lord, for wisdom in the proper use of these tithes and offerings for your purposes, for your glory. We also thank you, Lord, that you command us to ask, and so we as the people of God gather here to ask of you the things that we are in need of. We humble ourselves and acknowledge that in ourselves we can do nothing apart from grace. We thank you that you are doing all things in and through us and that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And so we ask for that strengthening, Lord Jesus. We ask for the work of the Spirit in, in, in making us and changing us and molding and shaping us to be more like Jesus. We thank you that you are changing us from glory to glory into the image of Christ. We pray that you would help us not to fight you but to submit to you as you desire to do that work of sanctification in us. We also acknowledge that you are our provider, and you provide all things necessary for life and godliness. And so we do look to you for our, our daily bread, for the provisions that we need to be able to serve you. We do pray, O oh Lord, for... Uh, and help us in our relationships with one another and with those who have sinned against us. Help us, O Lord, to know how to properly approach those who are struggling in sin. As Paul said, if a brother be overtaken in a fault, you that are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So we pray, O Lord, that you would forgive us as we have and as we forgive our, our fellow men. We know that we are at war today. This world is at war with you. And then we are passing through this veil of tears. That we are soldiers of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are called to be good soldiers. Enable us, O Lord, to have victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil. We thank you, Lord, for answering our particular prayers. We think of the needs that are listed in the bulletin. We do pray for Melly, and we pray that you would remove any obstacles to um, the Shimitz family being able to go and to bring her back here. We do pray uh, for uh, Clayton and for Skip, uh, for complete healing for Skip and restoration, and also, Lord, if it be your will, that for uh, Clayton as well, that that if it is your will, that you'd restore his sight and his eye. We pray for those who are in need, that are facing difficulties. We think of Trevor, who is, has cancer in the spine. Uh, we think of those who are battling various afflictions. We pray for Becky and her, her back and her foot. Uh, we pray for others who are battling discouragement or Fear, we pray, O Lord, for your grace and your strength. We pray, O Lord, for those who are traveling. At this time, we pray for traveling mercies. 
We lift up to you Caden uh, and Emma and David and Rachel as they have entered into matrimony. We pray for your blessing upon them as they establish their home, their households, their families. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would glorify yourself through us this week, strengthen and equip us, that you may be exalted above all things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's respond to God's word in our closing hymn this morning. Uh, love divine, all loves excelling. The love of God, 465. As I'm, I'm singing this, did, did did we cover all of this, what we just sang today in the service? If you were listening, yeah. It reminded me, many years ago, when I first came to Christ, I was in a church, and uh, when, when the pastor was preaching, the musician, one of the musicians would be behind the curtain writing a song based on what the pastor was preaching. And then he would come out and play and sing a song. 
what, what I, today is, it almost sounds like Charles Wesley was listening to the sermon, and if you go and look at all the things he said here, it's like a response, the same response. Anyways, it may sound weird, but so what? Receive now God's blessing and benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his shalom. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.